Well, hello there, friends. Welcome to This Good Word. I'm your host, Steve Weens, as always, and we are in episode 170. Good Lord. Uh, What I want to talk about today is an alternative to pushing through. I want you to think about right now all the times in your life that you are going, 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 and then you just hit a point where it's like you could either collapse or change course. But instead of doing either of those things, collapsing or changing course, you just keep pushing through. You just keep doing it. You just keep doing what you've been doing. Because frankly, maybe the thought of changing anything feels like way too much work or it's way too hard or even as hard as it is to keep going, it, you don't know what would happen to you if you collapsed and just stopped. But you are in a season of life right now where you know you've been going, going, going for a really long time. And you're looking for maybe an alternative to the going, going, going. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a certain conflict. Maybe it's just the humdrum traffic pattern that you have every single day on the way to work and on the way back. Maybe it is a program that you're in uh, through grad school or college or high school and you, ju- you have done a lot, you have, it's, you're not in the beginning, but you're not at the end either. And maybe you can't even see the end. You just like, so you either have to just keep going. That's maybe what you feel like is your only option because maybe you don't feel like you can change course and maybe you don't feel like collapsing and stopping is an option. So what do you do? I want to talk about that. And in order to do that, I actually want to pull out the pages of Scripture. (laughs) Yes, ladies and gentlemen. And I want to say a word about the Bible really quick. I've had some conversations with people, uh, really actually interesting conversations, that, uh, you know, there are so many different uh, ways to view the Bible. And I had a certain conversation with this one guy who he got pretty upset about some of the things that a friend of mine said. And he was really challenging the notion that you can't, that if you don't look at the Bible literally, and if you don't take it 100% as literal and as 100%, you know, no errors, no, no confusing parts, um, then, then you can't trust it at all. And I just couldn't, couldn't disagree with that more. And so we had a pretty interesting conversation. It was actually, I mean, for me, like I didn't, you know, when I get into these kinds of of conversations now, honestly, uh, they're they're not fun for me. But but there there's no pressure in it for me because I don't feel like I have any <laughs> anything um, to try to convince anybody of. Like, oh man, if you have to believe that Jonah really spent three deli- three days in the belly of the fish in order to believe anything about the Bible, like if you feel like that actually has to have happened just exactly that way, like an actual human being spending three days in the belly of a fish and then getting vomited out, if if, if that wasn't completely 100% literally physically true, uh, then that means you have to throw out the Bible. Then I just have to say like, wow, you have probably more faith than I do. I, I just... And I'm laughing a little bit. I hope I hope I'm not. Uh, um, well, if I'm offending you, I guess you can turn it off. You can turn off the podcast. But but 
how I look at the scriptures is that it is this, this collection of writings. Some are poems, some are uh, narration, some are ancient fables, some are, um, some are really things that really happened in real life. And it's all true. That's what I believe. It's all true, but true in the deepest sense of the word. Like Jonah in the belly of the whale, three days, that is true. Here's what's going to happen to you. If you run away from yourself, run away from reality, and run away from God, you are going to go through a kind of experience that is so like death, and maybe it is going to be death, that you're going to feel like you're in the most bizarre place in the world. You're, you're going to feel like you're in the belly of a whale, of a fish. And then maybe, just maybe, you're going to get spit out and you're going to have the opportunity to have a new start. That's what birth, death, resurrection is. That's the major theme of Christianity, major theme of the scriptures. But that's what's true. Like the true thing is there's a pattern in the universe uh, that is birth, death, resurrection. That is the Christ story. That is the Christ um, story. I mean, that is what happens. Uh, that there is a possibility for resurrection even in the darkest of moments. And that's what's true, right? Now, there are some things in the Bible that I absolutely believe happened literally and happened just the way that they were written. Maybe even a lot of it. My point is that you don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to believe that every single story in there is literally true exactly the way that we saw it and that we read it exactly the way that we read it. And furthermore, when we're when we're trying to read it as, you know, Western 21st century people, we miss most of the beauty anyway, because the Bible was written, number one, uh, with Jewish mindset, Eastern mindset, which was which was contradictions were there on purpose to send you into deeper conversations with people and with God. Questions were designed not to get one answer, but to start just expansive conversations that go uh, over and over and over, you know, through the generations and through time and through uh, from father to son to mother to daughter and on and on and on. And so the truth that is in the scriptures is meant to meet us where we are at and point us into the future. So that another way to say it is like, I believe the Bible really happened, um, is happening and will happen. Now, again, but, but, but I don't need to believe that in the book of Job, for example, that in this fanciful way of narrating the first two chapters, that there was an actual staff meeting that God was having with some angels, that the Satan crashed somehow and, and, and uninvited started a conversation. And then they had some weird actual bet with actual words where they were actually going back and forth and saying, you know, consider this man Job. And if you took all of his family away, then certainly he would curse you and die. And then God said, well, go for it. I don't think he's gonna. I mean, like, like if you think that actually has to happen in that actual specific literal way, <laughs> to me, that raises lots and lots of questions about the character of God. And would God that would God do that? And maybe God would, but that's mystery, right? So instead of saying, absolutely, it has to happen. Why wouldn't you say, wow, there's lots of ways to frame a story. And this story is being framed this way. And what do we have to, 
say about this poor character, Job, who regardless of whether or not this conversation actually happened, what's going to be one of the biggest points uh, is that uh, this story is about a person who, who is not going to know any of that conversation, is going to have no perspective of any of that, but he's going to have to live his life and all the pain that's about to happen without an understanding of how good and evil interact in the world. And that's what that story is about. It's not about making sure that it's absolutely literally true that God and the Satan had a conversation uh, in, in some board meeting up in heaven somewhere. Okay, I haven't even gotten to my point an alternative to pushing through. That was just my preamble of, of saying I'm about to read the Bible. So if you are a person who, oof, the Bible feels like, eh, oof, ah, uh, just, just, just keep that in mind. Okay, now this story is from the book of the Acts of the Apostles. So where this lands in history, this is after Jesus Christ has been born, died, was crucified, uh, resurrected, and then this little group of Christians started uh, to uh, center their lives around the teachings and life of Jesus. And they would practice Eucharist together and they would share with the poor and um, and they would break bread together in their homes. They would share meals, they would share resources and they experienced all this joy. So that's what was happening. And then like what happens when really, really good news is really, really good news to really, really actual people, uh, it, it, it starts spreading. I mean, that's what good news does. It, it, it spreads when it's really, really good. And so people started believing in this Jesus, even people who weren't Jews. And so as all <laughs> people who believe in something do, pretty soon someone started saying, now, wait a minute, we're Jews and we believe in Jesus. And these other guys are coming in and they've never been Jews, so they don't know our story. So, and we know that one of the ways that we have been um, set apart as a people is that we are circumcised. So I think at the least those people can do that don't have our story and that, that, that um, are starting to believe in Jesus, the least they could do to show that they're one of us is get circumcised. Now that sounds hilarious, right? But this was a huge debate and it went all the way to, you know, the the council at Jerusalem and <clears throat> James and Peter and all these people, should people who aren't Jewish, who don't have Jewish, um, who aren't Jewish culturally or religiously, who are starting to believe in Jesus, should they be circumcised? So here is what, you know, so there's all these meetings behind closed doors, back and forth, debate, on and on and on and on and on. So this is Acts 15, verse 19. This is like, finally they decide, and then this is what they say. I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, um, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood, <laughs> but not circumcision. They shouldn't have to be circumcised. Uh, for in every city for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. 
And so they started to send that out. They sent out Antioch, they sent out Paul and Barnabas to Antioch, uh, all these different peoples to spread the good news that if you are not of Jewish descent, you can believe in Jesus and all you have to do is believe. Oh, and by the way, abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from fornication and from things that have been strangled and from blood. So there you go. So there are some like bizarre, well, there are these four things, but circumcision you do not have to do. So there was this moment where they could have just kept pushing on and saying, you know, we have this religion and we have to keep it. Uh, we have to keep the story in some way. At this point, we're all Jewish and Jesus was Jewish and Jesus understood the Jewish story from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and all the way to Moses and and the prophets and the kings and the judges. And all, and there's this whole story. And if we, if we invite people who don't have the story in, then we're going to really, we're going to lose our identity and we're going to lose our way. So instead of just pushing through, instead of just doing uh, what felt uh, like was the right doctrinal thing to do, they they went against the teaching of the pro of of the prophets of Moses, uh, and and they said you, that you that that you don't need to be circumcised. Oh my dear Lord. That sounds hilarious to us now, but it was a big deal. It was just freedom, good news. And so this, this word started spreading and, um, Paul and Barnabas went out and the apostle Paul was this, this really, really smart, uh, Jewish, um, teacher and Pharisee who was like the most learned teacher around. He was respected, and at, at one point in time in his life, he was trying to put out this sect called Christianity that he saw as very dangerous, and he was doing so because he loved God. You know, you might paint him as like some evil person, that, just, but he was doing this out of, out of faithfulness because he believed it was right. And then he met this, he had this mystical experience with the Christ um, who met him, on, on his way to Damascus, he was blinded for three days and P Paul's whole um, narrative changed uh, from, from persecuting the, this sect called Christianity to becoming one of its leaders and teachers. So he starts spreading the good news uh, that in Jesus, you can be a part of a community that shares resources, that experiences joy and, um, and that really is, um, that, that, that adds beauty to the world by their love for one another. Uh, it, it was, it was, it was this, this unbelievable radical concept in a, in a time where people, Christians were still being persecuted. There were some of the most joyful, loving, um, inclusive people around. And the first church is really, um, it was multicultural. It was men and women. It was way ahead of its time. And it was experiencing all this massive joy. So, uh, so just a few verses after what I read about the decision that was handed down and then that good news was spread, uh, we read this in chapter 16, uh, verse four, as they, Paul and Barnabas and other leaders went from town to town, they delivered to them, um, for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem, the decisions about you don't have to be circumcised. So because of that, the churches, verse five, were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. Lots of people were now starting to feel like the good news was for them. And there was going to be 
less restrictions put on them, less restraint put on them. It was more free, more inclusive. The circle was getting wider. I mean, can you believe it? It's like amazing. And so they went through the region of Phrygia. Nice name, Phrygia. Maybe some of you folks who are listening who are pregnant, you might want to name your son or daughter Phrygia. That's P-H-R-Y-G-I-A. And Galatia have been for now, now. Now it gets weird. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now listen to this because they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, like, why is that? Why, why would they, this, this inclusive, ever-expanding circle, why would they now be um, told, nah, don't go to Asia? So, okay, so they didn't go to Asia. And then in verse 7, when they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, just these names, but again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So it says, verse 8, passing by Mysia, which they were going to go to, but they, they weren't allowed to. They went down to Troas. And before I get to verse 9, here's the deal. They were just, they were doing it. They were spreading the message, the good news, that really was good news, that the ever-widening, ever inclusive message of grace and forgiveness and new beginnings for all was really being embraced by many people. And so they were spreading it. And I can only imagine it was like exhilarating, but also exhausting because they were always on the move. They were talking to people constantly. And if, if, if you've ever been in a season in your life where sort of like in the spirit realm, <laughs> that sounds so weird, in the spirit realm. No, but that 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 you are connected to uh, the spirit in a, a kind of way that could only be the spirit. It's both exhilarating, but it's, it's also very exhausting. Uh, and you feel like totally overjoyed, but totally spent. So they're doing this day after day after day. And we can only assume they're just, they're following what their intuition is of where their spirit is leading them. And they think they're supposed to go uh, to Asia, but no, Holy Spirit says no, somehow, some way they, they interpret that, they understand that. And then they attempt to go to Bithynia. Nope. Spirit of Jesus again, doesn't allow them. So passing by Mysia, which must've been confusing, must've been like, what are we doing? They went down to Troas. So they were faced with this thing of like, do we just, do we just push through? I mean, maybe we're just tired. Maybe we've been doing this too long. I don't know if the Holy, excuse me, Holy Spirit is really saying don't go to Asia or if Jesus is really saying don't go to Bithynia. I mean, that might have sound we sounded weird. Maybe a few of them even were saying like, well, I didn't hear that. I mean, you know, I, I didn't sense that from the spirit. I, I didn't, I didn't get that impression. I didn't, I, I don't, I don't think that's true. But then some other people were saying, yeah, I, I really do. Maybe some division was happening now because that's what happens when you are trying to do something beautiful. Uh, all of a sudden there's, there's differences in opinion about what you're supposed to do, differences in opinion about what God is doing. And so are you supposed to just push through or are you supposed to stop? and say, when I hold on a second, we could keep pushing through. We could just keep, keep going down to Bithynia or Asia 
or we just keep listening to Paul or we just keep, you know, the whole thing. Or instead of just pushing through, we could stop. We could go down to Troas, the nearest town. We could find a place to sleep. We could drink a glass of wine together and share some stories and remember that we're not just machines that can keep going without rest or without nourishment. And after we've had a, had a chance to kick up our feet and have a meal together, um, maybe praying, maybe remembering the Christ that, that led them on the way and that led them through all kinds of different confusing uh, times. Uh, there was people raised from the dead. There was people healed. There was staying away from Jerusalem. There was going into Jerusalem. There was confronting Pharisees. There was eating with tax collectors and prostitutes. And I mean, just there, I mean, this whole bizarre way of Jesus, there it was, it was filled with confusing times like this. So maybe they stopped and maybe they, maybe they remembered, oh yeah, like this actually this is not that uncommon to the way that we learned how to do from Jesus and the earliest disciples. And this is kind of, this is the story. It, it, it is bizarre and it is filled with mystery. And we, we don't totally know where we're going or what we're doing. And the temptation would be to just keep pushing through and just go ahead and go to Asia. Cause I don't know, we can't tell who, what the Holy Spirit's saying or what the spirit of Jesus is saying. I mean, we don't even know. Instead, these guys uh, stop. They go into to Troas, they get some sleep. And the reason why we know that is we learn in verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him saying, come to Macedonia to help us. Come to Macedonia to help us. And so that's what they did. And man, maybe for you, if like you have wounds around, I don't know, religious structures and systems where the leader gets the word and then you go do that, I think that's worth paying attention to. I think you got to follow that thread all the way to the ground and see where it goes. I think you got to find that wound and, and address it and keep looking at it and until maybe you will get some healing from it. Um, and I encourage you to do that in this story. I think what I want to pull out is not necessarily like, should you listen to a guy like Paul or not? But, but what happens when, instead of just pushing on through, you stop, you remember who you are and why you're there and what this way that you're trying to follow really is all about, then maybe you open yourself up to a new possibility that you wouldn't have ever considered had you just kept plowing through. You just kept pushing through. When you just keep pushing through, and that's just your default when you don't stop and say, wait a second, we need some time to remember. Like what, what, what got us on this journey in the first place? Why did I start uh, teaching kid, second grade? Uh, why, why did I fall in love with this person in the first place? Why did I, uh, why did I take this nonprofit role that I knew didn't pay very much, but I was so compelled by the vision of, um, creating jobs for people who aren't employable. Like, you know, cause that's how it starts. You know, you take this job 
in this nonprofit, creating jobs for people who are unemployable. And you are filled up, man. You're fired up. You want to do it. You want to change the world. And you start doing it. And then you run into roadblocks. And you run into people who don't think you should be doing that. Or there's a number of different ways you should do that. Or the way that you're doing it isn't working. So you have to retool. Or the board it doesn't really like your the way that you're doing it. Or there's not enough money to do it the way that you need to do it. And all of a sudden, the reason that you got into it in the first place is really cloudy, right? And you just, you're just like, well, I just got to keep doing this paperwork and I just got to keep pushing through. And there is something to just the discipline of keeping on going when it's hard that I think is, I mean, that is, that is noble. It, it, it really is. But there's a difference between just doing the, the hard, small things in the right way and having that kind of what Eugene Peterson used to call a long obedience in the same direction. There's a difference between that and just getting so stuck in a rut that you're afraid to change anything because you because you your only option is just to keep pushing through. If these if these guys, Paul and Barnabas and others, would have kept just just kept pushing through and gone to Asia or or not stopped and had some some food and remembering who they were remembering what the way of Jesus really is all about, they would have missed this new word, this new possibility, this new way that opened up to them when they just stopped. So that's what I want to say. Like the, the, here's the deal. The alternative to just pushing through is taking the time to stop and remember why it is that you got into this thing in the first place. Remember what it is that this thing, whatever it is, this nonprofit, this teaching job, this marriage, this friendship, um, this nonprofit board that you're on, you got into it for a reason and there was a way in which you were doing it that was life-giving and that was working. But you've been doing it for so long that it's no longer life-giving and no longer working. And it doesn't mean you necessarily need to quit it, but you might need to stop long enough so that a way opens. That's what the Quakers say. When you stop to listen, you listen and look for a new way that opens up that you wouldn't have created on your own, that you wouldn't have brainstormed up, that you wouldn't have just backed into. It opened up because you stopped. The alternative to pushing through is stopping long enough to remember why it is that you're where you're at in the first place and then listening and looking for a new way to open up not a way that's produced by making pros and cons not a way that's gained by trying really hard and a bunch of brainstorm sessions those things aren't bad but when we're talking about movements uh, of the spirit we are, we are way past pros and cons. We're way past um, brainstorming. We're, we're actually at a place where we need to look and listen for the new way to open. And that's what these guys did. And I think that's what is so beautiful about this story. And I think it's what's so beautiful about the Christ pattern of birth, death, and resurrection. You think about that. Now, I do believe that the Christ actually was resurrected. I don't I don't, I can't prove that. I, don't, I mean, I have no bit, I have no desire to try to prove that, like historically or physically. 
but I do believe it because I see birth, death, and resurrection all around me. And I see that that's the fundamental rhythm of the universe, birth, death, and resurrection. And that's a hopeful rhythm because it means when you go through the stopping that really does feel like death. And let's be honest, when you have been cranking away at a relationship and it's just been nothing but conflict and you realize that you either have to play by the rules or bail if you don't stop and look for a way to open. Like, but, but then when you do, you, you, and maybe it takes a year, maybe it takes 10 years, but when you do stop and a new way does open and you walk all the way through it and something is resurrected that had been dead in your life or in that relationship, I mean, then you go, oh my goodness, this is why I'm in this in the first place. This is the whole reason why I'm in this, right? And so again, maybe you are in, maybe you're a teacher and it's just more of the same and it's really hard. What would it mean for you not to just keep pushing through, but to really stop and look and listen for a new way to open? Now, when I say stop, I don't, you know, you're, 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 you're still going to make it to that classroom at 8.23 a.m. and set up those chairs and teach those kids. I mean, I'm not talking about stopping necessarily doing the work that you do but you might have to stop doing it the way that you're doing it. You might have to create some new boundaries around when you will check email and when you won't check email so that you can have some energy to really dive in. You know, Stopping primarily means saying, like when it comes to a relationship or a job or you know anything that has become too overwhelming, you have to set boundaries around when you're gonna allow that thing to occupy your time and space and when you're going to say now it's no long I'm no longer going to play going to do this this way anymore I'm, I'm not checking email after six o'clock I'm not uh, in, engaging in that relationship uh, for enough time to where the amygdala can die down you know I'm I'm not I'm I'm just I'm I'm going to stop doing things the way that I'm doing it just pushing through doesn't mean I'm quitting my job though it might. Um, doesn't mean I'm quitting my program and, 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 and my PhD program, though it might, but it does mean you're going to stop long enough to where you can look and listen for a new way to open. So, uh, I want to, I want to invite you, uh, in this stage of your life, if you feel like you are just pushing through and you just feel so like weary and tired and stuck, but you, but you know, you're going to just keep going. Like, like you're not dead yet, but you sure feel dead <laughs> in whatever arena that is for you. What would it look like for you to stop, to go down to Troas, to have a meal, to talk with some people and remember why it is you got into that thing in the first place and what, were the dreams and hopes you had. And then where have you, you know, you're still doing it, but you, but somewhere, some way you got off track and you started doing things the, the corporate way instead of the way that you started doing this thing. And so what would it mean for you to stop, remember, look and listen for a new way to open my friends? 
Uh, I hope you can receive this invitation. I hope it's helpful. I hope uh, it came at just the right time for you. Um, I hope that hearing the stories of the scriptures can be life-giving and helpful, even if the scriptures have been used to silence you or your people or beat you up or, or stop you from being you. You know, all those power over ways people use the scriptures to do. It's, it's really never, it was never the intent of the scriptures to beat people into submission, to make people do things they don't want to do, to turn people into something that they're not. Uh, how awful. I mean, like if that's your scriptures and if that's really what they're supposed to do, um, good Lord, get some different scriptures. <laughs> Holy mama. <laughs> okay, everybody. Um, I think it's time to sign off. We're dust and breath. We're human and holy. We're limited and limitless. And we are in it together. Grace and peace, my friends. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to This Good Word. If you love this podcast, there's three ways that you can support my work. One is by jumping on Patreon, patreon.com slash thisgoodword. You can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff, including free tickets to any live events that I do, signed books, and other stuff. The second way is to share your favorite episodes via Twitter and Facebook. Uh, email, however it is that you share content. Let some friends know that you love it. And then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.